0: Early on in my days here at St. James, and not here at this building of St. James, but in serving St. James, and early on was, let's say, 26 years ago. uh, uh, We had uh, this little delightful daughter, Hannah Grace Henry, and Hannah Grace was still an infant, uh, and I was deeply afraid of breaking her. Uh, You know, I, unlike so many people, I mean, I've held small children, you know, I, I, before I became, came to St. James, I had served as the director of children's ministries and youth and young adults and education, and I would be walking around from in Sunday school checking to make sure all of the classrooms were filled and the teachers were there with somebody's baby that they would always hand off some small child. I would be walking around a small child with me almost all the time, and yet I had my own and I was constantly afraid that I, I, I wasn't quite up to this task. And then, in the fall, uh, uh, when she was about, you know, eight months old, somewhere around in there, seven, eight, nine, ten months old, we had our annual church meeting at St. James. And just before the annual church meeting, Linda had an infection, and they gave her a drug she was allergic to, and she had to be hospitalized, uh, because that antibiotic did not agree with her, and she almost stopped breathing, and all these other kinds of things. Uh, you know, it was it was a reality check. Because if I couldn't do the dad thing with Linda in the hospital, I couldn't do the dad thing. Uh, and uh, and so it. And and my district superintendent at the time, Doug Dillard, uh, was such a sweet gentleman. He called me and he said, "Listen, Linda's in the hospital." if you don't have any of your reports and if you can barely speak at the charge conference, perfectly fine, don't worry about it. Uh, You know, and uh, so I took him at his word. I did have all my reports except for one and uh, I don't know how, grace of God, I think. And, uh, And I held Hannah because Hannah did not want to be set down or held by anyone else for the entire charge conference. So all of my reports, we're with a small child attached to me here on my hip. Uh, I say that because in life there are moments when we have those kinds of reality checks come our way that ask us how serious are we about this thing or about what we're to do. This morning's uh, passage as we continue our series, uh, Matthew teaches us about Jesus, uh, comes from chapter 16 of uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and I'm beginning with the 21st verse, uh, and I'll read through the 26th, although we're not probably talking about all of them. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting my mind not, uh, you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples: If any want to come, become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? This is the gospel of the Lord for this morning. Thanks be to God. From that time on, Jesus began to teach them that he wasn't around forever that he wasn't going to be that Jesus in that way all along. Let me just tell you, reality checks are very uncomfortable. The idea of impermanence doesn't work well for most of us. We do everything at all possible to put death away from us. We've become so obsessed with not knowing about death anymore that we don't even keep our elderly folks living with us. We we, we ask them to move into homes somewhere far away from us so we don't even have to see or know uh, what it might look like to age. Uh, We avoid aging at all, all you know, every possible way we know how. We exercise to keep ourselves from aging. We take vitamins to keep ourselves from aging. We give up certain, you know, foods because we think it's going to keep us from aging. We have plastic surgery to keep from showing that we're aging. Uh, We pretend like these bodies are going to last forever. I've got some bad news for you. It's just not true. If somebody told you that you could keep it exactly the way you are, I, I... I am the bearer of bad tidings. This could be the last time you ever want to listen to me because, of course, I'm talking about your impermanence. We are all impermanent in this form. And Jesus began to teach his disciples that. And, and the writing was on the wall. A lot of people say, you know, oh, this was just showed that he was in on the inside track. He knew this was coming. Well, he may have known it was coming by some supernatural means, but the writing was on the wall. I, Every time he turned around by this point in his ministry, people are testing him. Uh, The religious leaders are testing him to try to catch him so that they can uh, get rid of him, that they can do him in. That's what it's all about now. It's clear. And John the baptizer has already been killed. So any kind of religious leader that rocks the boat, uh, like John the baptizer and now Jesus, Uh, may not have a long life expectancy. And Jesus recognized that. And he warned the disciples, this could happen. Not only could this happen, it's likely to happen, it's going to happen. Watch out. And Peter is having none of it. Peter is Peter. That's who Peter is. Uh, Now remember last week we got the story of how Peter got his name. Petros means rock. Rock. It means rock. Now, I didn't think about it this way until this week, but rocks can, can really have two good things, two things. One, they can probably have a lot more than that, and I'll probably get an email or two this week that tell me all the things you can do with rocks. Go right ahead. I love a good email, and I, you know, I, I like a good education, so please feel free. However, there are two things that seem to me very important scripturally that uh, rocks can do. One, they can be a firm foundation. Remember when Jesus told that story at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, you know, building your, uh, you know, wise people build their house upon the rock, and uh, those who are not so wise or foolish build their house upon the sand, and when it rains, the rock house stands and the sand house blows away, uh, washes away. That, That happens. So a rock can be a firm foundation upon which to build. It can also be a stumbling block. You can trip over it. How many of you have ever stubbed your toe on a rock or something else hard? Well, at this moment, Peter is living up to his name, the rock. Only he's not being the foundation that just six verses ago he was. Now he's the stumbling block. Six verses, friends, six verses. And he goes from foundation of the church and knowing something that only God could reveal to him as a gift to being the thing that's trying to keep Jesus from doing what he's supposed to do. Questioning his teachings about impermanence. And I fear that I see in Peter myself. And perhaps if you're honest with yourself, you can see Peter in you, one minute you are with God, you're doing what God wants you to do, and the next minute you're standing in the way of somebody else because you are so sure you are right about whatever it is. I can't tell you how often I am sure I'm right. It's pretty stinking often. I am so sure I'm right, I can't hear anybody else. And eventually, you know, I come around, or I don't. But Peter could be any of us. His discipleship looks like ours. One minute, helping build Jesus up, build the kingdom of heaven up, build our neighbors and those God loves up, and the next minute, directly, at the adversary. You know, we, we focus on the name Satan as an you know, a personification of evil. But the root word means adversary. Get behind me adversary, one who stands against me. Get behind me. Stop trying to lead and stop me in my procession forward and get back behind me. And why do you get behind me? Because you need to follow me. For the longest time, I thought get behind me. is like get rid of him. It never occurred to me until I was reading this week. And by the way... I don't owe this to my own deep wisdom. I owe this to the commentary. Thank you, New Interpreter's Bible, uh, who said, do you know the posture of someone who is following someone else is behind them, not in front of them. So you picture, this is, this, you know, Mark Hayes, who does our, uh, our images almost every week for worship in our sermon. If you see that image, he, like, captured it. He captured it. That could be Peter, the one that doesn't have the little thought blurb or the spoken verb. Where is your mind? Your mind is not focused on the things I need them to be focused on. Get behind me. Get behind me and follow where I lead. You're not ready to get in my way. Get behind me and follow where I go. You'll learn what it looks like to be a true disciple and to follow in the path God has laid for you. But you can only only learn that by following Jesus. You will never be leading the pack. You will always be behind someone who is leading the pack, and that person is Jesus. And if you forget it, every once in a while, maybe you just need a little reminder. And I can't imagine a stronger one than, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) I don't think I ever want to be called that, but I suspect that in my ministry, I guess I've been under appointment 32 years, and I've been in ministry 34 or so, that there have been plenty of times that Jesus was probably whispering in my ear, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. Stop being against what I need to do. Stop going against the very flow of the love of God. Stop it. Stop it, James. <laughs> All right, fine, fine. Now he goes on to talk about the kind of mind we need to have. And it's we focus our minds so often on the earthly things, but I need you to focus on your mind on the heavenly things. And I I need you to hear that as if you're hearing it for the first time because every time I hear heavenly things, I immediately jump to some place beyond the clouds with fluffy angels floating around and wispy wings and harps playing only classical music, only classical music. There would not be any contemporary music because somehow angels can only play Bach, Beethoven, and Brahms. Occasionally, if they're really feeling wild, they go for some Mozart. You know, they go to the Mozart moment, but that's it. Nothing more than 500 years old. You know how I know? Because I've been told several times that, you know, we can only use the music Jesus used. And of course, it was Brahms, Beethoven, Bach, and Mozart. That's what they told me. That's what they told me. Little did they know that's 1,500 years after Jesus. 1,500 years. We don't need to go there. That's another story for another day. We don't need to have any war about what kind of music we have. If it lifts up God, it doesn't really matter, does it? In the end, having the idea that our minds ought to be on heavenly things, because Jesus preached the kingdom of heaven, only he wasn't talking about the ticket you get punched in beyond the sky. He said various times, The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, and they're synonymous, is among you, near to you, close by, within you. That's where he said the kingdom of heaven was. Not off there, in here. Here, somewhere nearby. You have to look for it, though. This is where that slowing down breathing thing gets. You need to get your mind focused, not on your next high, whatever that comes from. It could be completely natural, it could be unnatural, but we all seek the next high, the next thing we think is gonna fill that hole inside of us. We keep searching for it somewhere outside of us. And Jesus says, keep your eyes focused on the kingdom of heaven, on heavenly things, on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Focus on honesty, integrity, authenticity. Focus on being the people I asked you to be. I made you to be someone. Don't try to be a clone of somebody else. Follow in my way. And sometimes it's not going to be comfortable for you. Sometimes it's going to really be challenging. And you know what's going to be most challenging about it is? the other people involved in this this walk with you. Because we don't all see it the same way. This is the first time I've ever preached this text this way. Because I skip over this part almost every other time to get at that, carry your cross, baby, carry your cross. Every one of you, take up your cross, carry it. What cross? What does it look like? What is it supposed to do? You know what crosses are, James. They're like electric chairs or gas chambers. They're execution tools. Is that what you, you want me to carry my execution tools wherever I go? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, come back to that beginning piece, that beginning piece where Jesus sets us up. Reality check, you're not here forever. Learn who you are now. Learn who you are meant to be now. You're meant to be my child. You're meant to live out that childhood in the way that you follow after me, not the way you stand in front of me and tell me how wrong I am. Well, love is a good idea, James, but it doesn't work with my neighbor who plays his daggone music until after 11 o'clock at night when I'm trying to go to sleep love is perfectly fine. I'm sure in heaven I'll be able to love everybody. But there are plenty of people here I'm just having a terrible time with. And you can't expect, you, you can't expect me to love them. Ooh, You better watch out if that's what you're telling Jesus. You can't expect me to love those people that are Republicans. You can't expect me to love those people who are Democrats. You can't expect me to love those people. I'm going to call them names. I'm going to call them ugly names. My Facebook feed is filled with people who call each other ugly names. I almost want to stop watching Facebook anymore. I'm tired of it. And mostly by people who, at the beginning, say that they love Jesus. You can't love Jesus and hate your neighbor, or you don't really love Jesus. You don't really love Jesus reality check and neither do I when I get fed up with the things that come across my feed, and my reactionary knee wants to jerk right back and say something where's the love in that statement oh you who said you were a Christian in the first line Christian I just need to give you a heads up Christian is always going to be a noun not an adjective If you are a Christian Republican, Christian Democrat, Christian Communist, Christian anything, you aren't a Christian. (laughs) You're a Republican, Communist, Democrat, modified by Christian. Christianity is not a modifier. It is your life or it's not. Reality check. It's an uncomfortable thing for me to say because I would so like to be a Christian pastor, a Christian follower, a Christian whatever I am politically. And these days, I don't even know anymore. But I can't be because Christian's not a modifier. That's either my identity or it's not. I either follow in the way of Jesus or I get in his way. And I don't want to be in his way. I don't want to be the stumbling block. I want to be the good and faithful servant, the foundation upon which he can build the kingdom. That's who I want to be. But the only way I can do that is to get behind and follow the man. Where is your mind? Where is your mind? Is it on heavenly things like love and joy and peace? Is it on earthly things, the next thing that's going to excite you, the next thing that you're going to jerk your knee about, political, or public, or I don't know, ecological, or whatever it is? Because there are plenty of things to jerk your chain. I looked out my window today as I was in the kitchen making my coffee, and there is a wicked huge hornet's nest in the tree immediately adjacent to my dining room window. My knee jerk reaction was, oof, got to go burn that tree down. (laughs) Okay, maybe not the whole tree, just the limb on which the hornets live. And then I thought to myself, no, I probably don't need to do that. Don't probably need to do that. Isn't it beautiful the way the sun catches it and those hornets come in and out? As long as they keep going in and out and don't come to visit me, we're in a happy detente. God's beautiful creatures over there. God's beautiful creature over here. Keep at least 20 feet away from us and we'll be fine. Being a follower of Jesus is hard work. Sometimes things are going to check your reality. Sometimes as much as you try, instead of being a good foundation, you're going to be a stumbling block. The good news is there is grace, even for stumbling blocks. This wasn't the final word for Peter. Get behind me, stumbling block. Keep your head, keep your mind on heavenly things, not on the stuff that's your stuff, because it doesn't matter anyway. Are the stuff that's your group's stuff? Because it doesn't matter anyway. Have you got that love thing down yet? Have you got that peace thing down yet? That joy thing? That servant thing down? That following me wherever I go thing? When you get that down, we'll talk about some other things. But in this lifetime, probably won't get it all down. This is a powerful story. And I missed those three verses for my whole life. So be careful. Don't be a stumbling block. And if you are, ask for forgiveness and get back behind. Follow in the way of Jesus, who went to the cross, went all the way to the cross, gave his life away, Rather than become a crucifier himself, he became crucified. That's the Jesus I want to follow. And I hope it's one we can all follow.